a while back, um, this is probably the first of these mounts. I think they came to us for one. I didn't actually think I'd be talking about the Mark V. And so um, we, we want, want to kind of go back, and um, over the, ne the next while we will cover the Mark V. Um, Exodus um, 20. As soon as I say that, I understand that some of you are probably planning to tune out, tune out this morning's message because if you don't think it has any bearing on your life, then please don't because this message is about much more than um, just that simple phrase or what that phrase means. And it's uh, more than just what God thinks about serial killers and those that eventually take somebody else's life. The sixth commandment is God's opinion, and it is the only on um, subjects such as murder and abortion and euthanasia and suicide and war. And, and so it, it covers a lot more than just that simple um, little phrase. And so over in Matthew, in Matthew, the fifth chapter, um, I, I'm again at the 17th verse, but I'll read a little bit, then I'll skip back down and, and pick it back up at the 21st verse. But it says this. And Jesus is speaking. This is the, the, what we would call the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Says a lot, and then, then he says this. He says, "Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others according." will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, you know, Jesus again says, look, I know that you think that the, the Ten Commandments, that was old law and it doesn't apply anymore, and he says that's nonsense. He said, I didn't come to abolish any of them. When we talked about the Ten Commandments the, the first five weeks, we, we came to the understanding that they are there for our good because the Ten Commandments are intended to keep us from harm, to keep us out of trouble, to keep us from needless pain and suffering. And he, he reminds us of that again as he speaks. And then when you go down to the 21st verse, it says, you have, heard, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, in answers is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray today that you speak and you speak clearly. Father, that um, it's not about what I say, it's about what you've already said. Father, it's about um, your commandments. Father, just remind us of that. Father, help us to understand the value of, of, of that simple phrase, thou shalt not. Father, it's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. But Father, it is a command from our holy God. Father, I just hope that we will take it seriously. Father, um, that, that we won't simply dismiss it because um, we don't think it, it, 
it's, it's, it's paramount to who we are as your children. But Father, it applies in our hearts and our lives in so many ways. Father, remind us of that today. We just love you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, Alexander Sanders um, Jr. was um, the highest-ranking judge in the state of um, South Carolina um, a few years back. And, his, and he was going to give the commencement address at the graduation class of, um, of the University of South Carolina. His daughter, Zoe, was a member of that class. And he stood up and he told a story about Zoe when she was three years old. And he said he came home to find a crisis. And so when he came home, you know, um, Zoe's pet turtle had died. Zoe's pet turtle had died, and the mother had tried to deal with it but had been unsuccessful. So as soon as father arrived home, mom was quick to say, hey, it's your problem. You deal with it. You figure out what to do. And so he went in, he sat down with her, and he, he, he tried to explain things. He tried to explain things, and he tried to explain to her that, look, we'll, we'll go to the store and get you a new turtle. But Zoe may have only been three, but Zoe was smart enough to know that she couldn't exchange one life for another life, and she wanted her turtle alive, not some other turtle that takes her turtle's place. She wanted her turtle alive. And so um, she continued to cry, and so Dad says, look, I, I tell you what. He says, we'll have a funeral for your turtle. Well, she didn't at three have any idea what a funeral was, and her dad being a politician does what politicians always do. He decided this is wise. You know, and so he, he says, look, he says, a funeral, he says, is just like um, a celebration. Well, she didn't know what celebration really meant. So he says, well, let me tell you. He says, it's like this. He says, we're going to have a big birthday party, and we're going to have cake and ice cream, and we're going to invite all your friends over, and, and they're just going to celebrate the fact that your turtle has died, and it's all because your turtle died. Well, success at last. <laughs> Zoe kind of wiped the tears out of her eye and kind of perked up a little bit, and she was happier, and all was well. Then something very unexpected happened. The turtle moved. The turtle moved and started to crawl around. The turtle wasn't dead at all. It just was taking a nap or whatever. And so as the turtle started, to, then Mr. Sanders didn't know what to say. You know, what, now how do I explain this? And, you know, he thought everything would be happy. And, you know, and, and but Zoe, Zoe with all the, the, the innocence of a three-year-old assessed the situation and she looked up and said, Daddy, let's just chill. As I, I thought about that story, and, and you go back, and the Bible says, Thou shalt not kill. The modern translations are more accurate when they say, use the word murder, and when they say, Thou shalt not murder, because there is a distinctive difference between killing and murdering. And, and, and so, you know, again, you might be thinking that, look, I, I can skip this message because, you know, you probably don't get the urge to murder people too often, except when you're in traffic or you cut you off or when your kids do something really disrespectful or when your boss tells you you're fired. So maybe it does apply to us. But, but, but the reality is, folks, it's much more than that. So you may not realize how much violence you have been exposed to or much less how much violence your kids have been exposed to in their short lives. And so did you know that by the time your child reaches the sixth grade, by the time your child is just getting to the point that we would call them youth and they could go off with Brother John, by that short time in life, they have witnessed 8,000-plus murders on TV. 
8,000 plus murders on TV and have witnessed 250,000 acts of violence on TV. You, you know, and when you think about that, I mean, when you think about the fact in America, every 22 minutes, someone is either shot, stabbed, or beaten to death. Every 22 minutes. I mean, we live in a violent world, and I mean, depending on whose numbers you believe, because um, numbers can say anything, and I understand there are those that will twist numbers, but um, in, in rough numbers, 4,500 children under the age of eight are murdered every year by one of those uh, um, methods. And, and so, Jesus says, Thou shalt not murder. We clearly have a problem. You know, Jesus takes the commandment, but Jesus doesn't just leave the commandments there. No, 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 no. Je Jesus wouldn't just let you off that easy, folks, because we would dismiss it. And we would say, well, I I'm not a murderer. That doesn't apply to me. But Jesus takes it to a whole new level when he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, but it still applies today. That's what, that's what he says. He says, you know that the people long ago were told this, but it still applies today. You shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, Raka, which means you idiot, is um, answerable to the court. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire or of hell. You know, John, when he's writing um, in the New Testament in, in 1 John, the, the, the third chapter, he says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Now, now think about that in the context of what Jesus says. He says, you know, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister and he says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He says, sin comes from the heart. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus said it's not just the issue of the act. He said it's the condition of the heart that, that precedes the act. And he says, if your heart is evil, he says, then you're guilty. The first murder that's recorded in the Bible happened within the family. Cain killed Abel because of jealousy because he was jealous of his brother and it led to anger and that anger led to murder and that's the progression that Jesus gives us he says anger leads to an outburst he's calling somebody names he says it leads to the emotional instability that you get to the point that you can't control what you're saying and then he says and then it leads to hate and he says hate eventually leads to murder and he says you literally said it's serious for all of us. He said emotions are powerful. They can stir up um, trouble within our lives and in others. And you know, Have you ever noticed how much children follow the lead of parents? You know, sometimes you wish they didn't follow your lead. You know, one, one of the stories that I'll never forget when Dolly um, called um, at Judson's in the daycare center at one time and um, she, she had little kids and one of the little kids Daddy called 
You know, and, and so we don't think, but let me just tell you, folks, others are watching and we have great influence. I mean, in, in the book, um, number one, it's an autobiography um, by Billy Martin. Billy Martin tells the story, um, and supposedly it's a true story. I mean, it's, it's, it's in the book, and I, you know, I sometimes question certain things, but he tells of a story one time when him and Mickey Mantle went hunting, and he says, I mean, he had a good friend in Texas that had a big ranch, and they'd let him go hunting, so he brought Mickey and, and him, and they'd gone out to go hunting, and they got there, and he says, look, he said, just sit in the truck. He says, I'm going to run in the house and make sure that there's nothing going on on the ranch today, and, you know, tell him where we're at and make sure it's okay to go hunt. And so he did, well, when when he went in the house and was talking to the owner, and, you know, and he said, sure, he said, it's fine um, if, if, if you go hunting. You know, he, he said, that's fine, but he says, look, he says, I've got a problem. He said, I, I wish you'd help me with it. He says, it's a child's mule by name. And he says, my old mule's gone blind. He says, I just don't have the heart to put it down. He says, but if you wouldn't mind, he says, while you're here, if you'd put it down, he says, then I'll go out and run. I'll take the tractor and dig a hole and bury it. But he says, I, I just can't shoot no more. He said, I ain't no problem. So Mickey decided on the way back to the truck, they did play a trick on Billy. And so on the way to the truck, he, um, he, he got to the truck and he, slammed the door and got his, I can't believe that old so-and-so won't let us go hunting. And he says, I'll fix him. I'll just go out to the barn and shoot his mule. And so he literally went out to the barn and shot the mule. So he said, the next thing he knows, he hears two more shots. And he said, he turns around. He says, Billy, he says, what, what did you do? He says, I'll fix that so-and-so. He says, I shot two of his cows. You know, folks, that really happens. We don't realize how much anger transfers to other people. And, and so when we're angry, not only about what it's doing in your life, what's it doing in other people's life? How's it transferring to them? Or is it going to lead them to do something? I mean, you stop and think what, what the Lord says, because we can laugh about that situation, but I'm just telling you, folks, anger is contagious. You know, in, in Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, he says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man, or you will soon learn his ways. He says, it he says it transfers, and so I believe the sixth commandment has been, um, at best, misunderstood, possibly misinterpreted. So, what does this command mean? I, I just want to just for a second talk about a couple things that it means and a couple things that it doesn't mean, and what this commandment does not mean. What this commandment does not mean it does not prohibit the killing of animals and insects. It, 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 it doesn't. I mean, you know, God doesn't contradict himself. And um, in Genesis, the ninth chapter, the third verse, he says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Every living thing that moves shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green plants. He says, I've given you all the plants and all the animals. And he says, um, you, so, you know, I, I, some of y'all probably saw Brother Johnny's post on Facebook this week because I saw some of you commented on it. Did you see? And Brother Johnny was at least partially right. He says, I'm a secondhand vegetarian. He says, the cows eat the grass and I eat the cows. Well, let me just tell you, folks, you don't have to be a secondhand vegetarian. You can eat the cows. You know, now I don't know if Jesus ever ate a cow or not. I mean, I, the, the scripture really does, but I know this, he ate fish. So, I, you know, and, and so it's okay. And so just understand that that's not what he's talking about when he says, you shall not kill, you shall not murder. It doesn't prohibit capital punishment. It doesn't prohibit capital punishment. I mean, 
And this is not intended to be a commentary on the death penalty, but just straight from the Word of God. It says in Leviticus, the 24th chapter, anyone who commits murder shall be put to death. The principle, God's principle, is a life for a life, and God delegated that authority to the government and, and to the officials. And, you know, God carries out revenge and, and, and punishment for wrongdoing. He, he himself handles but in this case, he said, it's that, you know, God desires swift judgment, and our system has failed us miserably on this one. I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a complete disaster. If you go back in, in the United States when um, William McKinley, the, the president, was assassinated, the, the, the person that did it was caught, convicted, and executed in 51 days. Now, that's what judgment was supposed to be like today. Today, I mean, yeah. Ted Bundy um, stayed in jail 11 or 12 years before he was executed. Recently, in the last couple of years in Florida, there was a man convicted of murdering eight people, and it was 43 years later before he was eventually executed. Most people in jail for murder, the vast majority of people in jail for murder that have been convicted and sentenced to be executed die because of old age and medical issues. You know, and, and so, I, you know, now, some say capital punishment doesn't work, and, and you know, I'm not going to debate that. It doesn't de de deter criminals, but let me just say this. It deters at least one criminal, because the person executed will not kill anybody else. You know, and so it doesn't prohibit going to war. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. So it's not a prohibition. It is our right to defend ourselves, and it preserves the freedom that, that God has given us and given to our children. And the quote that you've all heard at some point says, All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. There comes the time in which it is time to go to war, and it is time to protect our freedoms and our rights. And we must be thankful to the men and women who are killed so that we can have the freedoms that we so what does the command mean? If it doesn't mean any of them things, what does it mean? Well, first and foremost, I believe if there was one statement I could make about the sixth commandment, it means that life is precious. It means that life is precious because we are created in the image of God. We are created in the image of a holy God. In the, the very beginning, in the first chapter of Genesis, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and he created them. It says life is precious because we have been created in the image of God, and that's where the sanctity of life comes from. That is where the value of human life comes from. It separates us from animals, and we must treat human life with respect and dignity, and that's what the commandment starts out. That is the beginning principle for this intent. God says no to suicide. God says no to suicide. Suicide is the number two killer among college it is the number three killer amongst high school students today. You know, people would say, well, it's my life and it's my right to take my life. Well, that's nonsense. That's not what God says, and when in doubt, just go back to what God says. He says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, and you have no right to take that which does not belong to you. You know, Job. Job and all of the, the, the grief that Job 
and endured at one point in his life, says, Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, you have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. Job understood that God was the one that determined when we were born and when it was time to die. God says, No to mercy killing. You know, I know in our society at times that subject comes up and nobody wants to talk about it on Sunday school, but to other people, I'm going to talk about it when it comes to euthanasia. God says, Killing someone because of age or deformity or because of incurable disease is mercy. I'm not talking about having a living will. I recommend you have a living will. I'm not talking about where you choose not to be kept alive artificially or choose not to be kept alive on a machine or because of medicine. You prefer for death to happen by natural causes. That, 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 you know, so, so understand that. But, but understand when you go past that, I mean, you know, again, Job in, in writing and, and seeing what's life, and Job has lost his family, and Job had lost everything. Job had lost so much, and there are those that to his point in his life says, look, why don't you just kill yourself and be done with it? You know, he says, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Job clearly recognized that no matter how bad life was, no matter how much suffering he was going through, that everything, that life in general, that every living thing, its life is in the hands of God and to intervene and to put himself in the place of God was to sin against God and to not acknowledge who God is. You know, it, it's, it, it's, I'm just telling you folks, euthanasia is a slippery slope because who determines when the other person should die? Hitler decided that for millions of people. And we know what we think about that. And I'm just telling you, we, we live in a world today that it, it, it's becoming an issue and, and when, when when governmental and national health care, it borders on this very issue because when the government and, and others decide when to administer health care and when to withhold health care based on um, the circumstances they have decided, you are on a very slippery slope and we better be careful what we allow and what we don't. God says no to abortion. Psalms, the 139th chapter, says, for you, you, God, formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. He says, even before you had lived one day here on earth, God knew you, God formed you, God knew everything about you, God knew before you ever set foot, took your first breath of, of oxygen on planet earth, he says, I knew how many hairs were going to be on your head, I knew everything about you, I knew everything about your life. But did you know that I mean, you know, Charles Swindle said this, medical, medical authorities have to determine that a person could be alive if there is either a detectable heartbeat or brainwave activity. 
That's the definition somebody uses medically to determine whether a person is still alive or not. If there is a detectable heartbeat or any brainwave activity. So with that in mind, it is eye-opening for some to realize that unborn children have detectable heartbeats 18 days after conception and detectable brain activity at 40 days after conception. And what is shocking is that essentially all abortions occur after the seventh week of conception. You know, in country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love, but to use violence to get what they want. By abortion, the mother does not learn to love, but even kills her own child to solve her problems. And by abortion, the father is told that he does not have to take any responsibility for the child he has brought into the world. The father is likely to put another woman into the same situation. So abortion just leaves the
that you're bitter about, Father, I love you and I trust you. And Father, I know that, that, Father, there are so many that are hurting. Father, they're hurting because of choices that others have made. Father, they're hurting because of choices they've made. Father, I just pray today that they will understand that you love them. That, Father, your grace is sufficient. That, Father, um, that you desire to that grace. You just desire to give mercy. Father, it's a, a gift that you, you stand ready and willing to give to all. But Father, we have to receive it. We have to accept it. But Father, I just pray if there's somebody here today that, Father, um, because of circumstances in life, um, find themselves on either end of that spectrum. Father, will realize today that their only hope is in you. Their only hope is in the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary. It is the power to wash away sin. It is the power to